Amen. Amen. Let the church say amen again. <laughs> Good morning. As it has already been shared with us, what an amazing, amazing privilege we have to come and to worship our God, the God of heaven and earth, who's given us the wonderful privilege to gather as his people to, to hear the songs of Zion, to hear the word preached, and to know that God is with us. And if he is with us, who can't stand against us? Amen, amen, amen. Just a privilege. You know, as I stand here this morning, I know that many of you, just like me, have experienced many things that have just left you in, in total amazement. And for me, that list of amazing things just continues to grow. Uh, for instance, when our, when our kids were young uh, and we were living in Pennsylvania, we decided to take a quick weekend trip to New York to see Niagara Falls. Who's, who's been to Niagara Falls here this morning? It's an amazing, breathtaking sight that uh, that natural wonder truly is. And, and if you haven't been there, but you like to travel, make sure you put it on your bucket list. Now, now check this out. It's estimated that over 750,000 gallons per minute cascade over the rims of the falls at Niagara Falls. 750,000 gallons per minute. For us living here in, in Knoxville, Tennessee, our, our local utility, KUB, takes in <laughs> about 30 million gallons of water per day from the Tennessee River. 30 million. So if you took a bucket that was 30 million gallons big, <laughs> Niagara Falls would fill that bucket in 40 minutes. Just amazing. Another amazing sight, the Grand Canyon. Who's been there? When you look out uh, uh, among that expanse of, of what God has done, using a, a simple river to carve out this immense canyon, we have seen amazing things from the hands of our God. Another amazing sight that I was able to, to witness was the reentry of the Space Shuttle Columbia from outer space in a night landing at Cape Canaveral, Florida. We were living in New Orleans at the time, and as the, the shuttle came in from Texas to where we were in Louisiana, it created this huge plasma tail that looked like a laser beam going across the sky. It was just an, an amazing sight. But as I said, the list could just go on and on and on. And I know that many of you have had amazing experiences as well. But as we come today to celebrate a special day, a day that we testify to the amazing goodness of God and his gift to humanity of fathers, I think it's appropriate for us to take a little look at the interaction of a father with his son, and by extension, the father of us all, our Lord Jesus Christ, as portrayed in the Bible. And so that's why we're going to take a look quickly at John chapter 17. John 17 is recorded by the Apostle John 
And I think it's one of the most amazing chapters that's part of an amazing recounting of the ministry of Jesus Christ that actually begins in chapter 13. So in chapters 13 to 17 of God's, John's gospel, that, that may very well be one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament. Whenever the Lord gives me an opportunity to, to walk with a young believer who's attempting to, to lay a solid foundation for their faith, I love to take them through John's gospel. For in John's gospel, we get a great uh, overview and a great underpinning of who Jesus Christ is. But what he came to earth to accomplish and what he's doing right now on behalf of his people until he comes to take us back home to glory. The gospel of John is quite amazing. And as we look at uh, chapter 17 this morning, I think there is something simply amazing that rises above all the other amazing truths found in John's story that speaks directly to the role of fathers and how they should carry out the responsibility of being a father in the lives of people God gives them to oversee. So the theme I want to highlight this morning and take it directly from John 17 is this. One with the Father. One with the Father. And we're going to look at verse 21 as kind of the anchor verse uh, to launch into this discussion. Verse 21 says, Father, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, before we get into uh, chapter 17, uh, it, it really helps to talk about what does it mean to be one with the Father and give a, a context of, of what's going on in the life of Jesus Christ at this moment. Jesus is only hours away from being crucified. It's early on Friday morning, before the sun has risen. And we find Jesus spending time in prayer with his Father. You know, several days before this event, Jesus had begun the process of preparing his disciples for the time when he would no longer be with them physically on earth. Jesus introduces this period of transition back in chapter 13. So even though we're going to spend our time in, in John 17, I, I do think it would be helpful to just briefly walk through chapter 13 up to where we are here in chapter 17. So in chapter 13, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. He would wash the disciples' feet in an amazing act of humility. Jesus would, uh, would reveal that one of them would betray him. He would declare that their love for one another would identify them as his disciples. And then in one of the most heart-wrenching revelations ever given to a human being, Jesus would share with Simon Peter that he would deny him three times. John chapter 13. In chapter 14, Jesus would place an immovable 
theological stake in the ground that by declaring that he alone is the way and the truth and that no one could come to the Father except through him. That was an amazing truth then. It's true now, and it will be true forever until the end of time. There is no way to the Father except through his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus would close out chapter 14 with the first detailed teachings about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who will take his place after he departs physically from the earth. John chapter 15. Jesus shares how God uses the discipline of pruning so that we, his disciples, may, be, may bear fruit abundantly. Jesus declares that the greatest demonstration of love that a disciple could show is to lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus would declare that his disciples are now his friends and no longer servants. What a better friend to have than Jesus Christ. In chapter 16, Jesus dives deeply into the fact that his time physically on earth with his disciples is almost done. His time is spent, and very soon he will return to the Father. He would once again share with them about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who would take his place to walk daily with God's people. And then finally, Jesus would tell the disciples that the seemingly unbearable sorrow that they would soon experience would eventually be turned into inexpressible joy. And and why did he do that? Because through his death, Jesus would overcome the world. And because they are part of him, of him, and because the Bible teaches that as followers of Christ, we are actually in Christ, we too will overcome the world. That's just amazing. If you're not amazed by that truth, well, you're just not amazed. <laughs> I don't know what to say. So chapter 17 An amazing chapter that is just an amazing climax to an amazing episode in the life of Jesus Christ. So so as we start to look at chapter 17, in actuality, chapter 17 is a prayer. It could really accurately and truly be called the Lord's Prayer. Now, I know for many of us here, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, holds that distinction of being called the Lord's Prayer. When when his disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, he responded with, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. So we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But you know, in actuality, if you think about it, Matthew is recording what I think we should really think of as the disciples' prayer. Jesus is instructing his disciples how to pray. 
But in John chapter 17, what we have is actually the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the New Testament. And it's a prayer of how Jesus actually prayed himself. It's truly the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer from a man who was the father of a flock of people he had been given the responsibility to care for by his father, the father of all humanity. So as we look into this intimate, deeply personal, and emotional prayer from Jesus to his father, I think there's many things that we should talk about this morning, especially for fathers. As we consider that insightful verse, verse 21 again, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's three things I want to cover briefly this morning. Point one, that a father must emphasize the priority of prayer. Say amen, fathers. A father must emphasize the priority of prayer. Point two, a father must emphasize unity with God. And the final point will be, a father must emphasize the process of sanctification. We'll look at these as we talk again about that theme. One with the father. The first point, a, a father must emphasize the priority of prayer. You know, Jesus modeled for us all kinds of prayers. He, he would take the time, for instance, to have a prayer of supplication in just a few hours as he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. But here in John 17, we have modeled for us from Jesus truly what is a model intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is shaped by the desire to pray for others, even above one's own personal needs, and that's exactly what Jesus does in his prayer. And even though chapter 17 is primarily a prayer about intercession, I do think it's appropriate to look at how Jesus led into this prayer of supplication. So even as we get ready to pray for others, uh, Jesus also models how it's really appropriate to start all of our prayers by, first of all, acknowledging God. Look at verses 1 through 5. Here's what Jesus says. When Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. You ever want to know what eternal life is? Well, read this verse. It's getting ready to tell you. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you've given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. Now, we could spend all of our time this morning just talking about those five verses and never get to intercessory prayer. But I don't have time, so I won't. 
But moving on to verse 6, and then continuing for the next 20 verses, Jesus dives deeply into his prayer of intercession for his followers. Now stop. Take a moment. Think about the importance of what Jesus is modeling for us, for fathers. A father must emphasize the importance of prayer. Really think about it. Jesus is only hours away from the cross, but his focus, his focus is on praying for others. Fathers, listen to me, fathers. If you're not emphasizing the priority of prayer for those God has given to you to shepherd, well, you're just not being the best father that you could be. You may be a good father, but that's not the goal we should have when it comes to serving our families. Just like God, our Heavenly Father, who sent his very best out of the deepest love possible for those who he had given to him to shepherd, we ought to strive as fathers to be the very best father that we can be. And that means we need to find time to pray for those who God has given to us. We need to pray for them, even when life is difficult for us personally. Now, if you're not placing a high priority on prayer for your family, as demonstrated by Jesus during the most demanding time of his life, then you're simply not being the very best that you could be. Now, look, guys. Look, men. Don't hide behind that flimsy excuse that you're too busy. Or the excuse that your time is, is too valuable to devote any of it to prayer. Or that you will only take the time for prayer when it's convenient to do so. Or by chance, the time becomes available. We need to take the time required every day to get along with God, to block everything else out, and to pray for our people. Throughout Jesus' life, he modeled the priority of prayer. Now look, you may be the busiest man in town, but in Jesus, if Jesus, who had the small task of coming to save an entire world, could find ample time to pray for his disciples, what's so important about your life that prayer must take a back seat? Making prayer a priority is essential to be a healthy Christian. The Lord has blessed us with a, a great counseling ministry here at our church, and, and we primarily focus on serving believers who are struggling in life. And, but as we do so, there's nothing more frustrating nor revealing than when we ask counselees about their prayer time with God. And we ask them, how is that going? And sadly, so many of them have to confess that their prayer time is either weak or non-existent. Now, these, these are people who say that they're followers of Jesus and that they love him with all their heart, mind, and soul. 
But it is just amazingly unbelievable that they can't find time to cultivate a healthy prayer life with God the Father. That's just amazing. And sadly, if you press them hard enough, they, they say, well, we, we can find a moment here and we can find a moment there. But even in their prayers that they do find a moment here and a moment there, when, when you look at the content of what makes up their prayers, it's mostly always about what's going on for them versus what's going on for others. But is that what we see here with Jesus? Absolutely not. Instead, we see a man who knows that the most agonizing time of his life is just hours away. And what's on his mind? We find Jesus asking his father to take care of the people he loves most in life. Fathers, pray for your people, especially in accessory prayer. Hey, just a quick note. At the close of service, we have members of our intercessory prayer team available to pray with you, led by Elder Jeff Wiggs. They will be stationed throughout the facility, both here and in the hub. If you're needing prayer this morning, please take the time to reach out to one of our intercessors. They would love to pray for you. They would love to model for you what intercessory prayer looks like. Please don't leave here this morning if you are standing in need of prayer. We have a team here to be with you. So as Jesus makes prayer a priority, and specifically the prayer of intercessions for others, what did he do? And how did he pray? Well, that's a great question. And I'm glad that somebody out there was thinking it. Let me answer it for you. And let's move on to point number two. Now, I really want you to hear this point well. Uh, it's a point that I think is easy to overlook. A father must emphasize unity with God. A father must emphasize unity with God. You know, there are many things we could pray about on behalf of others. As our kids were growing up, Terry and I would pray all the time for all kinds of things for our sons. We, we would pray that God would send them good friends. And he did. We prayed that God would send them to good schools. And he did. We prayed that God would give them good careers. And he has. But of all the things we pray for and continue to pray for is that our sons would be one with God. So Jesus gives us a great roadmap here of unity with the with the Father. Let's, let's look at verse number 11 of John 17. John 17, 11. Here's what Jesus says. He says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. This is one of the most insightful verses in the Bible concerning the need to prioritize unity with God to experience genuine biblical fellowship and unity and relationships with one another. And that's a point that's easy to miss. So let me, let me just dive into that just a little bit. 
Jesus is not primarily addressing the unity that we desire to have with one another. Rather, he is identifying the unity with God that produces the unity that we need with one another. Now, if I don't get an amen out of amen corner over here, I'm going to have to read that again. All right, good, thank you. I'm going to read it again anyway. Jesus is not primarily addressing the unity that we desire to have with one another. Rather, he's identifying the unity with God that produces the unity that we need with one another. Let me put it another way. In other words, one of the key reasons that we don't experience, hear me well, beloved, one of the key reasons that we don't experience unity in the body of Christ today is that our oneness with God, our unity with the Father is weak. Now, no such weakness exists in the relationship that Jesus has with either God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. Again, look at, look at verse 21, our, our launching verse for this, this passage. Verse 21, that they may all be one just as who you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. A defining characteristic of the Trinity is oneness. There's absolutely no division of any kind in the triune Godhead. Instead, there's perfect harmony. And when there is perfect harmony, there is a defining unity that permeates every aspect of the relationship. See, we like to shortchange things here. We want the benefit, but we don't want the sacrifice that produces the benefit. We want peace and harmony in our families, even in our churches, but we don't prioritize the, the prayer of oneness with God among our people, that they may be one just as we are one. When I had the privilege of, of leading an engaged couple through premarital counseling, I love to take them back to Genesis 2 and discuss the principle of oneness. Specifically, we, we look at the profound truth that's found in Genesis 2, chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Here's what it declares. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I talk with them in depth about what it means to be naked and not ashamed. About what it means to not allow anything to, become, to come between the unity that God has ordained for a man and his lady. For a husband and a wife. For a, a father and a mother. You know, the world's kind of confused about that today, about what marriage really is. Uh, God's been very clear in the word. Biblical marriage is between a man and a woman. Don't let anybody else tell you anything different. Amen? I'm probably going to get in trouble with that, but all right. Now, <laughs> let me talk to you a little about sin. Here's what sin does. Sin divides. 
Sin seeks to destroy the oneness that God has ordained as very good and what Christ prays that exists between believers and their heavenly Father. And when sin threatens that unity, and believe you, it will, we need to respond as Jesus did with a prayer for oneness. But that's not all we do. That's not what we often do. Instead, we, we kind of continue to follow the legacy Adam and Eve modeled for us. When Adam should have led Eve back to prayer, they got together and put some fig leaves to cover themselves. In actuality, all they did with those fig leaves were separate each, each other, themselves from each other, but more importantly, they begin the process, they continue the process of separating themselves from God. What they did was they invented fig leaf religion. You know something? We like fig leaf religion. The reason why we have so much disunity in our homes and in our churches and even in our country today is because, because we have become specialists in fig leaf religion. And as a result, we are losing our unity with God. Now, are you tired of the lack of harmony and peace in your home? If you are, start emphasizing a prayer of unity with God, with your family. Well, Jesus has already done the heavy lifting. You can put down fig leaf religion and take up the faith that was once and for all delivered for the saints. Start praying for unity with the Father. But let me tell you something. When you do, Satan's not going to be happy. He will attack. And that's why Jesus prayed in, in John 17, verses 15 to 17. Here's what he said. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So that leads me to the last point that I want to cover this morning. It's point three. A father must emphasize the process of sanctification. Now, Jesus knew the challenges that his disciples would face in a world that absolutely hated them. Look quickly back at verse 14, John 17, 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The world hates Jesus, and the world hates anyone who, who dares to follow Jesus. So in this prayer of intercession, Jesus prays for sanctification. Now, we've just launched a series on the life of Joseph. Joseph's life is a case study in how God uses hate as part of his plan to ultimately bless his people. A key verse in 
Joseph's testimony of God's faithfulness in the midst of difficulties is found in Genesis 50, 20, a verse we know well. And here's what Joseph says. As for you, you meant it, meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You know, I kind of like to, to think of Romans 8, 28 as kind of the, the New Testament equivalent of Genesis, Genesis 50, 20. <laughs> it, it, what does Romans 8, 28 say? I know many of you aren't familiar with that, but just in case you aren't, <laughs> Romans 8, 28 says, and, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Both of these verses point to a critical aspect of biblical discipleship that we call the process of sanctification. To be one with the Father, a father must emphasize that process, the process of sanctification. Uh, listen to how Jesus prioritized sanctification in his prayer of intercession for his followers. Verse 16. John 17, 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I concentrate myself so that they may also be sanctified in truth. The, the process of sanctification begins, listen up, it begins when a spiritually dead sinner is born again and placed into the body of Christ. After being justified by faith, the new believer begins the process of becoming more and more like Christ. I love the way the Apostle Paul captures this process. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, here's what Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And behold, the new has become. Amen. Born again into the body of Christ, the old nature has passed away. It is no longer binding on a believer who has been set free from the bondage of death due to their old nature. We have a ministry here called Renewal. That's Romans 6, 6 is the foundational verse for that ministry. And it says that I know that my old self has been crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing so that I may no longer be enslaved to sin. Believers, hear me this morning. As born again, Holy Ghost filled, Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are no longer enslaved to sin. Stop living that way. You have been set free. And there's no more excuse for living in a lifestyle of sin. That's why that's one of the defining characteristics of a believer. The process of sanctification in, in, enables us to become more and more and more like Christ every day. We are no longer enslaved to sin. That was free. I didn't have it in my notes. <laughs> and in spite, in spite of the ups and downs that we experience in life, 
fathers, fathers must pray on behalf of their families to embrace what God is doing in their lives through the process of sanctification. As as Jesus prayed in verse 17, the process of sanctification is anchored in biblical truth. It is a truth that declares that you are no longer separated from God and destined from an eternity of separation from God. Hallelujah. It is the truth that you can now put off practicing fig leaf religion and put on the process of transforming your mind to embrace and live out biblical truth. Fathers, we must, be, must intercede on behalf of our families to embrace the process of sanctification. Now let me remind you again of another very important aspect of Jesus' prayer of intercession for his believers. It's John 17, 15. I told you that was an amazing chapter, didn't I? Just amazing. John 17, 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. It is unwise, it is unwise to continue praying that God take all of the battles out of our lives so that we may avoid the troubles of living in a fallen world. Now here's what Jesus asked his father to do. Listen, he says, Father, don't take them out of the world. Now if you're not praying this truth, then you're praying against Jesus. Hello? That's not a good thing to do. Jesus is saying, don't take away the mountain, but instead give me the strength to climb the mountain. That's how the process of sanctification works. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, count it all joy, brothers, sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, I I see so many fathers and mothers lamenting over the difficulties that their children face. Their prayer is for God to take all of those difficulties away and just make everything smooth. I know it's true. I have to confess that I've prayed that prayer many times on behalf of my sons. But you know what the greater need our families have today? The greater need that our family members have today is to be one with the Father. And that's where the real challenge lies. You know, it's better for our children to suffer a little while here on earth, and because of it, And because of that suffering, to be drawn into a closer relationship with the Lord. To have unity with the Father is so much better than to have all of their troubles magically disappear so that their lives on earth will be a bed of roses. Don't settle for short-term gains and we're in place of the sacrifice that is needed to earn eternal rewards. Pray that our children, pray that our people, pray that your pastors 
would embrace the process of sanctification so that they may be one with the Father. One with the Father. So as I close this morning, and I'm going to ask our worship team to come on back up, let me just read those uh, verses again out of John 17. Uh, John 17, 20 through 26. They, they were read for us earlier uh, this morning, and I praise God for that. But let me just read those again. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love me even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be one, be with me where I am to seek my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and those, these know that you have sent me. I have made them known. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Fathers, I'm going to leave you with a personal challenge this morning around being one with the Father, as verse 21 say. I want you to take a look at verse 21. And I want you to incorporate that verse in your daily prayers of intercession this week. I want you to ask God to specifically show you how you would encourage, how you should encourage your family to be one with God. Now, how, how could this look? Well, for instance, um, uh, Colin Hughes has put together a wonderful study guide for us that's on the back of your bulletin this morning. Don't, don't, don't just take these things and lay them someplace. For the next week, I want you to take and study this read guide. Uh, it's, it's available via our church website also if you don't have a hard copy. And I want you to specifically start to pray this prayer of intercession for those God has, has given to you. Um, maybe what you ought to do is, is go to their, your, the bedroom door of your, of your child just lay your hands on the door. Or better yet, maybe you can sneak in the room while they're asleep and put your hands on their shoulder and pray verse 21 over them. Maybe the next time when, when you're faced with a difficult situation and you don't quite know how to do, what to do, uh, go back and read James 1, 3. Because the Lord tells us if we're ever lost for what to do, ask God for wisdom and he will give it to you. And then finally, as you memorize this passage, just think deeply about how you apply it in your life. And look, here's one last thing. Don't go to the temple of fig leaf religion. God's not there. Put it down. Turn to this prayer of intercession, and God will bless you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the amazing truth that you've given to us in this amazing passage of Scripture. And as we come to this 
time in our service, Lord. Maybe you can bless us with that amazing blessing of someone who was once lost, but now has sensed the amazing power of your love, that you're drawing them to yourself. Give us that privilege this morning of just walking with them and helping them to embrace the mighty love of Jesus Christ.